It is good to be back with you. Um, Susan said she had a great time with you last week. Um, so that's good. She, she said it was, she goes, they were kind of cute. And I was like, cute? What do you mean? She's like, they were showing me all their stuff. I'm like, this is our building and this is where this is and that is. And she's like, they're, they're quite proud of, of the little space that you created. And I said, well, yeah, we've been doing it for a while. So uh, it's good to kind of come in and have, uh, show people what, what's happening over here. So uh, we're glad that you're here. Hey, before um, we jump into the word, I hope you guys either have a Bible or device. Uh, a couple of our passages will be on the screen, but it'll be nice for you to be able to float around. Um, but let's go to God in prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for who you are and who we get to be when we stand in the light of Jesus. You make all the difference for us. You have changed us and transformed us. Um, and, and we are in the midst of that, of constantly being renewed and transformed by, by your love and your mercy and your power and your word. Uh, God, we thank you for, for scripture and the ways that it speaks to us, the way that uh, this book that is so old uh, still speaks truth into our lives and into our world. So as we open it together today, um, we just ask that you soften our hearts to the message of the gospel uh, and help us to be renewed and transformed by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So do you remember when you were a kid? And if you're a kid, just simply remember. Um, when, when you're little, and, and especially when you're really little, and the thing you want to do the most is stay up late. Do you know that? Like, my friends, when their kids were small, I'd be over at their house around bedtime, and they would lose their mind around bedtime. Like, what? I can't even believe you're making me go to bed. Like, this happens every night. I don't understand why they're so upset about it. But it's this idea that you can stay up when you're older, right? And it's like, so when you're older. And then um, that becomes sort of the mantra of your childhood. Like, I can't wait for the next thing. Um, and then you get to middle school and middle school is this sort of, you know, awkward time in life. And people are like, don't worry, it gets better when you get to high school. And then in high school, you get there and you're a freshman and you cannot wait to drive and you wanna get your driver's license so bad. Although I meet kids sometimes that have no interest in getting their driver's license, and I don't know what that's about. I was driving the lawnmower if I could. I wanted to drive anything uh, that I could, could drive. And all you can think about. And then it's all about graduating, right? And whether it's going to college or finding that job that you really want, it's the next thing. And when, when if you're a college person, it's like, now I have to get that job in this career that I really want to do. And then it's, maybe if you didn't do it while you're in college, you gotta, then you, finding a spouse becomes very important. Maybe some of you are in that spot right now where you're like, yes, please, I'm waiting. And then it's like this idea of, okay, now I live in an apartment and I need to buy a house. Like we're always sort of looking to the next thing uh, in life and, and having kids. And then, and then when we do this, and then we get to a certain point of our life where we're like, well, it's time for a bigger house and the next thing and then it's retirement and what are we going to do when we <sighs> and it's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and so sometimes in that space we forget to live our lives because we're waiting for the next thing and I think sometimes we talk about the kingdom of God similarly right we say things like um like I can't I can't wait I can't wait to get to heaven I, I can't wait to get there I can't wait to see Jesus It'll be so much better when we get to heaven. Am I right? Amen. And that's, that is 100% true. That is an amazing statement because all will be made right 
We will be with the Lord. It's gonna be amazing. However, all caps, five exclamation points, however. You with me? When, when we're in relationship with the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the creator of the universe who knows your name and how many hairs are on your head, because of that fact, we are already part of the kingdom here. Amen. We are part of the kingdom right here. We get glimpses of how it will be. We get glimpses of how it could be, of how it should be. In Luke 17, uh, a Pharisee is having a conversation with Jesus. And it goes like this, and I'm just going to read it to you. So Luke 17, starting at verse 20, if you're a note taker. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is Christ incarnate after Jesus died and rose and he gave us his power on earth. The kingdom of God is here. It is in our midst. It, is, it shows up in all of you, in the way that you live your lives, in the way that you interact with people. It's the reason that we are called to love our neighbor, to be ambassadors of heaven. I love the idea of the word ambassador. I watch a lot of political drama shows. I love them. Madam Secretary, so good. West Wing, going old school. Love it. Love the idea of talking about what it means to be an ambassador. I worked uh, at Trinity Christian College and I was their ambassador. So I would go to different schools and I would tell them all about Trinity Christian College and how amazing it was. And you should go there and not Calvin and here's why. My job was very hard when it was in West Michigan, very hard. But that's, that's the same kind of level of ambassadors that we're called to be for the kingdom of heaven. We're called to bring heaven to earth. Right? It's why we serve our neighbor. It's why we seek justice and mercy in our broken world. It's the reason that we get up in the morning. Right? The earth we live on is, is not going to last forever, and we know that. But when we accept the grace offered to us through the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus, we are promised eternal life with him in heaven. So Tim Harlow in his book that we've been kind of reading and going through says, our mission then is to bring heaven to earth and take earth to heaven. I love that. Heaven to earth and earth to heaven. So when we serve our neighbors, the ones that, are, that live physically uh, in our neighborhoods and the ones that live in our cities, in our state, around the country, but also further than that, in our world, because our whole world belongs to God. It can't just be the thing that's right in front of us right here. It is our entire world. It's why we pray for our whole world, because it all belongs to God. When we do that, we bring a bit of heaven to earth, right? A glimpse of the kingdom of God, the way that it should be, the way that it will be. Gets me excited. I love, that's, it's what we get to do. These glimpses are gonna matter to people. It could matter for their whole lives. Can you throw Matthew 25 on the screen for me? We started this uh, when I was, when I, the last time I was here, a couple weeks ago. Here, I'm here all the time, you know. The one time I wasn't. We spent time, right, talking about this scripture where they're, the, they're gonna divide people, the Lord's gonna divide people into two um, groups, right? The sheep and the goats. And I'm just gonna read it for you again because you need a reminder. The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. 
I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you look after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When, when did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Do you remember that? And we talked a little bit about how it's, when you read that scripture, it seems so, it was so simple. Like, they're like, we, we don't remember this of you, Lord. When did we see you doing it? He's like, you did it every time you served the least of these. Every time you showed compassion and mercy and love, you were serving me. You were giving people a glimpse of who I am. When, so, when you ease someone's pain, when you feed them, when you give them clothes, a place to stay, you offer compassion. You are, in a sense, all of you, you are the gospel with skin on. Jesus was, was the incarnate word. But we, 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 we get that same thing. We get to be the gospel, the very face of Jesus, to the places and people that we go. So whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for Jesus. But there are two groups. So God's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep who have followed him and emulated the life of Jesus, they don't just claim his name, but they walked the way that he walked. Right? We, what we do for others really demonstrates how much and how we feel about Jesus. And that's tough. That's tough. Because I, I got flipped off on 44th Street the other day. And he wanted me to know it too. I was tailgating slightly, but I was in a hurry and I was late. And I thought the guy in front of me was going slower, so I was like, oh man, this is, this is not good. And he, anyway, long story short, he flipped me off, and then I was like, I don't know what to do back, so I was like, <laughs> thumbs up. That made him more mad, and then he pointed in his rearview mirror and then did it again to make sure that I knew that that finger was for me. It's hard sometimes. It's hard. But what we do for others demonstrates what we really think about Jesus. We use the expression, and you've heard it, actions speak louder than words. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Let's continue with Matthew 25 uh, in the next slide, because this is the second group of people. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and all his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison, and we didn't help you? They're just as confused as the people that did. And he says, he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do, for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then he will say, go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus does not mince words at all. He uses, he uses harsh, get out of my face language when we don't show mercy. Get out of my sight. You ever have a word as a parent, you've been that mad at your kid? And you're like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to regret. So you just need to, you need to go to your room. It was like that, but 
times 10. Because if you do not show people compassion and mercy, then you have no part with the Father. None. You are claiming, he's saying, you're claiming my name, but your actions speak louder. And therefore, you have, you have nothing to do with me. You claim that, 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 yes, you're with me, you're a follower of me, but you don't act like me, talk like me, walk like me, look like me. And if that's the case, then you have no part with me. Because it always come back, comes back to the heart. Jesus preached compassion and mercy. It was always near to the heart of Jesus. It's, it should motivate us to do something. Because our motivation matters to God. Motivation is tied to our heart because we talked about we like to stay safe and comfortable and we gravitate to people that are like us. That's natural, that's human. That would happen in every culture. That is a human nature kind of thing. And God's asking us to be different than that. Because you belong to me, you get to be different. You get to be willing to be uncomfortable. Susan talked last week um, about the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we had talked about er earlier this year. So you're getting lots of, you should be getting so much wisdom from this one piece of scripture, you could preach it yourselves, right? But the Pharisees of the law, uh, the Pharisees knew the law, right? They said, absolutely, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he asked, who's my neighbor? And we've been talking about that at this point in time, right? We know the answer, that it's all people, all times, everywhere, always. <clears throat> even the people that make us uncomfortable, even the people that we disagree with, God says, those are my children and your neighbors and therefore your responsibility. I don't want them to be, though, sometimes. <laughs> I don't want them to be. That's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of responsibility. I guess as I know. But you belong with me and I've given you everything you need, so go. The least of these. We're talking about the most vulnerable, the most vulnerable in any society, whether it's ours here, first world, or if we even shrink it down to just right here in Granville, in West Michigan, where we live. There are those still that have less than we do. And I'm not just talking about money, I'm also talking about relationships. People that aren't connected, that you see that, you're like, I never see that neighbor. They never come out of their house. Their grass is growing this high. Where, I wonder what happened to them. They don't have, maybe they don't have people. It's not just the poor. <clears throat> Excuse. Excuse me. <clears throat> there are people without hope. We have hope because we have Jesus. I misquoted, or I tried to give you a quote uh, a couple weeks ago, but it's actually this philosopher named Kierkegaard. Now, to be fair, I don't read a lot of philosophy. I don't know if you know that about me. But when philosophy shows up in another book, then I'm like, ha-ha. Uh, and so I, I love it. And I wanted to give you the actual, uh, the actual quote. But it says, the Bible is very easy to understand. But we pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well the minute that we do, we're obligated to act accordingly. Ah, nailed. I got nailed. I got nailed every time on that. Because if I know what it says, and I, and I'm, and I, then, I, then I have to act a different way. And acting a different way is hard and I don't want to, right? I don't want to. But we have the moral obligation under the rule and the reign of Christ to serve and care for our neighbors. Every single time. One of the most marginalized populations in the world, 
of, of every culture are kids. Kids. They are the most vulnerable. They are abused and neglected. They're put into a system that often perpetuates that. They are trafficked and sexualized. It's true. Now there are, um, well, it was true then in 2,000 years ago, right? It's, it's, no, it's not different now. It's, it's, it's just, we feel like it's more rampant. I don't think it's any more, any more rampant. But it was the same 2,000 years ago when Jesus said, let the children come to me. Remember when we talked about that? Let them come. They, they are just as important. He cared about kids and he cared about teenagers. He was hanging out with this table over here. That's where Jesus would sit. He'd be like, let me see what you got in your Instagram. I'm gonna see. He spent, he spent so much time with them that he took 12 of them and decided to pour into them. We always picture the disciples as these older, wiser men. Maybe they were in their 30s. You know, 30s is a good time to really start life and ministry in a serious way. Nope. He called a bunch of teenagers and he said, come and follow me. And he poured into them. They were his disciples. Jesus val valued vulnerable kids. And he used some pretty harsh language when you messed with his kids. So in the book of Mark, he talks a couple different times about kids. And so of the vulnerable, of the least of these, he has this special love and special focus for children. So put, we put Mark 9 up. Mark 9, and it's, uh, it's supposed to be, yeah, 42. Oh, good, you fixed it for me, thanks. I had it wrong the last time. Uh, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Uh, that's a millstone. Millstone, is, there's two pieces to that, and you see that the donkey is kind of moving the one. These things are huge, made of, oh, something like concrete. They're super, super heavy. They weigh 3,300 pounds. So, and everybody would have known this. Everybody knew what a millstone was uh, in that day and age. This is what he would say. If, if Jesus were alive to say, today, he would say, go to the next slide. It's better to have a family sedan around your neck and be thrown into the sea. This is like Godfather language. Like, you mess with my kids, things are going to get serious. You are going to be fitted with some cement galoshes. Capiche? Do you understand? I mean, that's, he's like, do not mess with my kids. I love that. A millstone, a family sedan. We cannot be indifferent to vulnerable people to kids here and around the world, to people that we know and that we don't know. According to UNICEF, 21,000 children under the age of five die every day from preventable diseases and malnutrition. They basically die because they're poor. 21,000, five and under. That's staggering to me. And according to the National Center of Family and Homelessness, a staggering 2.5 million children are now homeless each year in America. This historic high represents one in every 30 children in the United States. One in 30. And we're often indifferent to suffering and loss unless we experience firsthand, right? Unless we have some sort of connection to it, somebody that we know, something has happened. I think of my friend Rochelle, who um, works for Young Lives. And that is a, a ministry all about um, teenage moms, right? And, and that mattered to her because it was her. 
And then it has become the heartbeat and this passion of her life and her ministry because she had this deep connection to it. But children, kids are vulnerable in every society. We right now, we have them coming into our country, right? Families that are seeking asylum and they're coming to this place. And we don't have to agree with why they're here or if they should be here, but we need to care about what happens to them. Because right now we talk about them in like, like they're not real people sometimes. And they're a political, don't, don't get me wrong, they're, I'm not telling you uh, anything how to, how to believe about whether, whether you are Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. We are Jesus followers, amen? That's what matters to us. That's the side that we're on. That's where our hope lies. That's, that's, that's what motivates us in the morning. And so they're his kids too. And they're, right now they're being political pawns on both sides of the aisle. But they're kids and they, they need to matter to us. What are we going to do? Not what, our, not what is our government going to do. What are we going to do? What are churches going to do? How are people going to rise up and take care of the people that are, are here? Whether we think they should be or not. Knowing that every person is created in the image of God because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do we lead with compassion and mercy because that's what Christ extended to us? Widows and orphans, children's, the children, the stranger in our midst. But the person and the people whose stories we think we know. The cheater, the drug dealer, the sex offender. The people that don't have anyone to speak out for them. Right? That's unpleasant. That was a list of unpleasantness at the end there. They matter too. We don't want them to because we think we know their story and this is what they deserve. Paul says it this way in Philippians. Philippians 2, uh, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being, I love this, like-minded having the same love, being one in the same spirit and of one mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's not about us. It's not even about what we need or what we want always, right? It's about what God calls us to, the radical kind of love. And he says, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And then he kind of goes on to quote some Old Testament scripture who says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Because people matter everywhere, all the time, always. We are constantly striving to become, and we talk about all the time, becoming more like Jesus. Becoming more like Jesus takes, takes hard work. It takes the constant renewing and allowing uh, the, the life and, and scripture to transform you, the life of Jesus, not your life, being rooted in who he is. Finding a community like this who are going to 
hold up a mirror to you and remind you of who you are and what you are and whose you are. And then say, we're gonna be about something that's less than us. We're not gonna spend a ton of time talking about what you like or don't like in worship. What makes you comfortable or not comfortable? Because this space isn't gonna be for us. We gather together because we have hope uh, in who Jesus is and we want other people to, to be, we know that, that people will automatically be attracted to that because Jesus is attractive. And so we will create a space, continue to create a space where everybody, where people feel welcome to come in and that the threshold of what they think church should be will be way down here. So they can just come and be a part of what this is. We're gonna put our money and our time and our attention where our mouths are, right? If you confess that Jesus is Lord, then caring about his people is your number one priority. Because we have the power and the command to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus spent his time caring about the least of these, the people that the religious of the day wouldn't be caught dead with. Do you remember? I think I've said this before, but the only time Jesus was ever wagging his finger at anybody, he was talking to the church. Saying, get it together, church. If you follow me, if you believe in me, then you have to be better. Let me leave you with this last slide. James 1, verse 27. I love it. Right now it is cut out. It is in a place where I can see it every day. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Anytime you see widow, uh, orphans and widows, anybody, the vulnerable, those are the most vulnerable people in Jesus' society. So anytime you hear that, that is a caveat to say, all those people, that whole collective group of people. And don't, don't let the world pollute you. And right now, there is, is nothing more polluting than American politics. It's the most divisive thing that we have, and we get so mad at each other that we have these conversations, and spit comes out of our mouth, and we're typing a mile a minute. We, me, all of it, we get, we, we get fired up about those things, but they're messing us up because they're not Jesus. That's not whose side we're on. We're on the side of Jesus Christ. The rest of that political stuff can figure itself out. We are about the things of God, the things of Jesus. Don't let that mess with our mission as followers of Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because when we live in sync with the Holy Spirit, we pray, say, God, we invite you into this, into this space and we invite you into our hearts. When we have that, when we're in sync with the Spirit, then we are filled with things of the Spirit. Love and joy, patience, peace, Kindness, gentleness, and self-control, those, those things are what the Lord gives us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your truth. Your compassion and your love towards us is something that we don't deserve, and it's more than we could ask for or imagine. Because while we were still sinners, you died for us. I want to continue to always be awed by that. We didn't have it together. It says, wow, while we were still sinners, in the act of sinning and not doing it right, you died for us. And I pray that as, as individuals and as the church, that we can be your ambassadors in this world, that we can see people the way that you do in, uh, in our neighborhoods, 
in, our, in the state and where we live, in our country, and in the whole world because our world belongs to you. So I pray that you soften our hearts to the people that need to see a glimpse of you because the power and authority that you have, you've given to us. So help us, help us, God, to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen.